Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. This is Weekly Comics Spotlight 527 for comics originally released on September 13th, 2017. Now, starting us off in DC is Mr. Miracle. This is uh, issue number two of 12. I do think it's a little, uh, I don't say aggressive, but optimistic for them to keep doing 12-issue limited series. They've been doing it with Commandy. They've done it with uh, Shade early in the uh, the New 52. Um, but by and large, I don't know that DC has had a whole lot of, of great success with things they announce as miniseries. But Ink Shade was a uh, young animal. Are you you're thinking about the other Shade. The other Shade. You're thinking Shade the Changing Girl. I'm thinking Shade from the Starman stuff. So that was back in 2011, then. When, yeah, during at the launch, early, uh, not at the launch, but within a year of it. Okay, I, I seem to have forgotten that one. Um, it was one of those that their their miniseries were falling fast and furious. That for them to have announced, and it may have been a little later than that, but for them to have announced a 12 issue one seemed again optimistic. Of all of the new gods characters to do it with, I do think Mister Miracle is probably the smart one to do it with. He seems to um, fit nicer with the the superhero crowd that DC's got in terms of characters and readers, I think. Most of the others, I think, either you're into the fourth world stuff or you're not. And I kind of fall a little more into the not category. So probably out of the DC Kirby characters, limiting it to, you know, the new gods and that sort of stuff. I mean, he did a lot of work on Jimmy Olsen and a lot of other stuff. So, I mean, but those were characters that predate him. This is probably, Mr. Miracle is probably my favorite, but that's because he's one that I think, again, fits nicely with the Justice League. He's got a super heroic, upbeat nature to him. He's not just this super powerful being like Orion, Light Ray, or half the other new gods. This story, though, is is very much set uh, squarely in the new gods' realm uh, in terms of what it's all about and all of that kind of stuff, and... Not really a major plus for me. Wasn't a turnoff, although sometimes when they get too much with New Genesis and Apocalypse, it's like, yeah, I I don't really care that much. But this issue stuck to a nine-panel grid religiously. And it, it worked reasonably well, but for me it kind of came across as an attempt to write for television. Now granted, these are uh, portrait panels versus landscape panels, but it's the same basic idea. If you've got a static image size and aspect ratio and a, a, a fixed viewpoint into the world, if you will. And there were a lot of things that sort of played out of, of time elapsing at a certain rate in things that I felt were very cinematic. I mean, the opening page where, you know, uh, one of these aliens gets their head blown off. I can't tell if it's a parademon or not. I don't think it is. But anyways, it it's one of those things that feels like an episode opening for, for television. And I don't mind that kind of cinematic storytelling, 
But there does come a point where it's a little too slow and takes a little too much space to convey those sorts of things in a comic book. I mean, there was a three-page scene, or part of a scene, really just the whole thing was uh, Scott and Barda needing to kneel down before Orion. And it's like, okay, I get where they're going. It's a good character moment to a degree. It certainly sets the tone, the style, but three pages for that? That's, that's a little slow. Um, but despite that, it didn't feel like there was a lack of material in the issue. I mean, there was some stuff here. It just, um, it was slow. There was a, a couple of pages that didn't even have any dialogue. It's all, oh, let's look at this. Let's do this. Let's, let's let the, uh, the scene play out. And it's, it's the kind of thing that would be a really good TV scene. But again, sluggish on, on a comic page, in my opinion. Add to the fact that some of the other main characters of uh, Orion and Lightway were just complete jerks. And I'm not saying that's out of character for it, it's just I didn't particularly like them. Fortunately, I like Scott Free and, and uh, Barda enough that uh, I enjoyed this comic, but I don't know if it's necessarily for everybody. And certainly it's a different kind of storytelling style than I think we typically get over at DC. Yeah, but it's very typical of uh, a vertigo story- storytelling, and it's very, very reminiscent of the uh, Sheriff of um, Baghdad slash Sheriff of Babylon story that Tom King and Mitch Jarrods told over there, um, right down to the nine-panel grid reliance, which is uh, something both I think Tom. That's, I think it's more of a Tom King thing than a Mitch Jarrods thing, but um, they they seem to play well with with each other and really complement each other's style. And uh, this thing kind of caught me off guard with its last issue um, with some of the themes it was introducing and, and some of the things that Mr. Miracle was going through. And uh, that really propelled me into this issue. And, and when I get here, uh, there's kind of some more questions as to exactly what is wrong with Mr. Miracle. He's not, He's not quite all, he doesn't quite have his faculties all together, but I really like him. I really like he and Barda's relationship. It really works well together. They work well together. And this, uh, this granny goodness character who, uh, I remember vaguely, but I don't remember where from. And I I didn't have a really good grasp of her before, but really kind of stormed onto the page and chewed some scenery. Uh, really kind of stole the center portion of this, of this story away from the main characters and became alive in it, in her kind of first villainy. Then maybe she's good and (laughs) maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it was a really cool arc for that character to take. And I was kind of enthralled with, with that character and, and who she was and, and just what exactly, uh, what is, what exactly is happening now? Um, because of the, the things that took place in this issue. Um, I, I was really, really fascinating. These are characters that I don't have any real affinity for. Um, but yet this has grabbed me in such a way and surprised me along the way. And it really surprises me the twists and turns that happen in this. I, I don't really see that what's coming around the corner and it's really kind of exciting. Um, this is a, this is a, a series that, um, I know I will finish. I know I will, re- I will read all 12 because 
there's so much cool stuff in here and I want to, I want to see where it goes. It's just, it's been really interesting, um, to, to just go from, from really no, uh, concern for these characters to, wow, there's, there's some, definitely some different levels to these characters and I want to know more about them. And, uh, uh, I thought this was a really exciting, exciting ride of an issue with issue two. I will say that King, particularly with uh, Granny Goodness, did a, a really good job with that character because she came across much more sympathetic and nuanced of, again, can we trust her or not, than in pretty much every other time I've encountered the character. Now, where you might be familiar with the character from is she was in um, some of the uh, Justice League and Superman cartoons during the, the Bruce Timm era. Um, she was voiced by uh, Ed Asner. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I didn't. Re- I didn't watch any of those. Ah, okay. Uh, she might have also been ever so briefly on, like maybe an episode of uh, Smallville or something. But um, she's been one that's been. She's she's again one of the um, hallmark characters or whatever uh, of the new gods. Once you get past kind of the the core circle, she's one of the key, I guess, supporting cast members. I would say really once you get past Darkseid, Highfather, Orion, Mister Miracle, Barda. Calabac, Desaad, then you start getting into Granny Goodness, um, uh, uh, Light Ray, some of the others or whatnot. Um, but she was really well used here, and I did enjoy that aspect. I think part of it, though, is it's hard for me to get too invested in kind of what's going on in Apocalypse and so forth, and they haven't really given us the, the full backstory uh, of what's the current events there, but... I expect that to happen during the duration of the the run. They've got another ten issues. That's plenty of space to tell quite a bit of story, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. But this is one of those things where, while I like Mister Miracle, I've read other stories of his that have clicked with me more, and a lot of those tend to be more on the the superhero side or take of the character than the New God version of the character. Um, and that's just where my tastes lie. I yeah. think this was decent, but not, you know, if I had to cut down to five DC books, this wouldn't be one of them. If I had to drop five DC books, this wouldn't be one of them. I don't remember you being a big fan of the, the Vision, uh, Tom King's interpretation of the Vision either. Um, Is that correct? I, I liked what he did with the series, but it was, um again, different storytelling style and whatnot. So it's it's a matter of, it takes me a little while to get used to the kind of story he wants to tell and the way he wants to tell it. Versus what I'm used to getting with these characters. Does that kind of make okay. sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I wasn't sure. Cause I, I think if you, if, if Vision clicks with you, I think this will as well. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of that sort of, of, uh, examination of a character. Well, and that series um, worked better for me near the end of the run versus the beginning of the run. Cause it had time to kind of build up some momentum and get going. And once, I saw kind of where he was going, got comfortable with what he was doing with the character versus where did these kids come from and such. Um, I appreciated the depth of the character examination in the story he did, and I'm hoping to get to that point here. But as a, a single issue, while this was good, it didn't particularly wow me or anything, nor would I necessarily expect it to. He's telling a 12-part story, and this is just one aspect of it. I really like uh, Mitch Jarrods as an artist. Um, there, there were times when I thought, well, I don't know if you needed the nine panel grid here, and it would have been nice to just blow up one of those panels and just let me let me glory 
and revel in in your artistry a little more um and that that could have been fun as well but i see what the, i see what they're doing and uh I, I like I like the storytelling style. Um, I think yeah, he could have probably broken <laughs> a couple of those panels into into a big splash page or so, or at least a half or something, and and really let me look at, at some of the some of the art um, because I really like I really like the guy's art art style, um, and I think that coupled with just a really a grabber for me, it really grabbed me. This story is something that. Um, I want to know more of, I want to know how it turns out. I want to know what happens next. I'm really excited about where this thing's going. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost up there, but for me, it's an A minus and it's something that I definitely would uh, recommend to others. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think that I guess the story itself is clicking with you a lot more than it is with me because I haven't really been kind of hooked into the overall plot and, and whatnot so far. Um, so for me, it's, it's sitting at a B minus, but again, your comparison to the vision, I think is a, a good one. And that's one where early on, it's like, where are they going with this? What are they doing? And by the time it had gotten, you know, the, the near the end of the series and things were getting the payoff, we'd really built up a lot of story and things had happened and changed and you could see where it was going and stuff. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more. So like I said, I'm, I'm hoping to get to that point with this series too. Shall we move on to our Marvel book? This is Secret Empire Omega number one. This pretty much finishes off the Secret Empire storyline. They may have one or two epilogue aftermath sort of things. Um, how much of Secret uh, Empire have you read? I love it. All of it, uh, just the series. Did you read all the side miniseries, all the tie-ins? I actually got sucked into uh, quite a few of the of the side quests and things. I was surprised um, because I didn't think I was going to, and uh, yeah, that kind of checked checked out a little more than I than I thought it was. But um, definitely all of all the miniseries, I felt uh, I was drug in drug into that, and it was uh, top of the stack reading for me. I had mixed feelings on Secret Empire. Um, Early on, I was intrigued with where they were going. Uh, I liked the build-up to it in the uh, Captain America Steve Rogers series. But there came a point where the series kicked off. Captain America kind of took over. Hydra's in charge. And then it was just this constant, I don't even want to say battle, but the lack of progress the heroes had made in, in fighting back and whatnot. It just, the pacing of the story felt odd to me. Um, with this particular issue, um, the art really, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen this, this sort of art style before, but it's one of those where it's almost, uh, I'm going to say impressionistic. Like you get the impression they might've, uh, wanted to finish drawing, but didn't quite get around to it or something. Again, a lot of things are lost in the shadows, kind of murky. It's, it's almost like, um, there's like some sort of filter on the lens of the camera, if you will, to to not give you quite the level of, of Christmas or detail uh, you might wa- I might want, at least. And the fact that this entire issue was basically um, Steve Rogers uh, talking to evil Steve Rogers. Um, I mean, there's no way to avoid kind of that sort of a spoiler if people haven't gotten to the end of, of Secret Empire. Um, they redeem Cap by pulling another Cap out of, out of well, out of a cosmic cube, literally. Um in this issue, they're talking about how certain characters have, have been killed off in the storyline. Uh, Jack Flagg from um, 
early in the uh, the Captain America Steve Rogers series, uh, Rick Jones during the course of Secret Empire, Black Widow. And as they're listing them off, I'm thinking, I wonder which one's going to come back first. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jack Flagg, yeah, he's going to be dead the longest. It's, he's just not that uh, popular of a character, either with the fans or the writers. There's nothing to really pull him back. But I think before we even got to the end of this issue, there was hints that Black Widow might already be back. Uh, Rick Jones, just give it time. Uh, certain of these characters are effectively immortal. It's it's almost like how in fables, the more popular the fairy tale was, the the more resilient the the person was. I kind of got the sense that Black Widow may have, maybe had never died. That's possible too. It's hard to tell these days. I thought uh, there was something where we had seen her get killed off, but I can't. Uh, I'm not positive of that. Either way. People are thinking she's dead and she's gonna come back. That's yeah, that's yeah, yeah that, definitely that. That that that's gonna happen. This issue itself felt a little padded. Some of the gutters were really long, uh, wide, or whatever. Okay, fine. There were a few places where we had like one or two two-page splashes, and it felt like you pretty much could have covered that in a uh, a tighter one-page splash. And it wasn't bad. I enjoyed the art and stuff. It just felt a little stretched out, um, and a lot of Secret Empire itself felt a little lackluster to me, with uh, the quick takeover and, and the slow um, advance of the heroes to fight back or whatnot, and then what I felt was a, a deus ex machina kind of a resolution of, well, we need somebody to take down Cap, who better than Cap himself, and poof, we get the old Steve Rogers back as if by magic, and... It seemed like the whole point of the exercise was to taint Captain America's reputation so he has to struggle to regain it. And, okay, fine, that's just not the kind of story I want with Captain America. You know, if you want to go do that with Tony Stark or some other characters that, frankly, I'm less attached to, I'm more willing to go with that. But to take the hero's hero of Steve Rogers in the Marvel Universe and get it to where people feel he can't be trusted and shouldn't be trusted... Okay, you've you've earned that out of this, and this this issue had some really good points about how the quote unquote evil Cap or whatever Hydra Cap really hadn't broken any laws and hadn't done anything wrong, but just took advantage of a situation that was ripe for taking advantage of. And he and he capitalized on Cap's good name and good reputation, and he didn't actually earn any of that, but yet you know used Steve Rogers' life. And and kind of usurped it there for a little while, and I, I thought that was just brilliant—a brilliant point made, um, and, and really kind of one of one of many mm-hmm. in this in this that really kind of punctuated what what Nick was Nick Spencer was trying to do here, and uh, what I think he really accomplished well. Had those things been obvious to you prior to reading this issue? Well, I'm I'm not really sure why this thing is 10 plus an omega instead of the original eight that was pitched. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, that it's, a, if it's a purposeful thing that is definitely, that is, that is marketing and sales driven, or if it is an actual happy accident o- over and over again. Um, I don't like that practice and it annoys me. Um, but yeah, there, there was probably not 11 issues worth of stuff in this, um, it was probably closer to the original 
eight or nine, whenever, whatever it was originally solicited as. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Tin kind of buttoned everything up really well and probably didn't need this. Uh, but there was a lot of great stuff in here, too. Um, My question wasn't, was this issue needed or not? But this issue raised a lot of points about what had happened in terms of the Hydrocap taking advantage of the situation and and leveraging the real Steve Rogers' reputation and such. Right. How much of that needed to be pointed out? How much of that was kind of obvious? Oh, I don't think I don't think that point had been made. No. Um, and I would agree with you there, but it kind of makes me wonder how effective the storytelling was if it wasn't until here that it really clued into me that, oh, yeah, this, this guy just kind of walked into a situation that was ripe for the plucking, you know, and maybe some of the storytelling was a little too subtle in some of the previous stuff that they had to actually bring it to the surface through exposition for us to pick up on that. There's There's something about that that both works for me and doesn't work for me. You know, that there was an underpinning to be had, but then they feel the need to, to kind of pull back the curtain and show it to us. Not sure how to how to take that myself. Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think you've been on the other end of that argument as well, where it's been telegraphed and hammered home. So why are why are they re- reiterating it as well? So I don't but know what the, what the, they what there, the answer is. There's a middle ground. Don't telegraph it, but don't have to tell us afterwards either. <clears throat> yeah, and if this is afterwards, or if this if this is part of the plan all along, that this is how the story was going to unfold with the conversation in the cell, um, you I, know, I kind of think it was. It seems to be a callback to uh, Civil War after Steve had died and uh, Tony was was talking to him, trying to apologize or whatnot for what had happened during Civil War. To me, this was echoes of that. Yeah, it was such an. I mean, I really think the series itself had such a nice bookend um, with the introduction of the new the new mutant, and then him have him having to save the day with the with the with the cosmic cube um, regurgitation. Um, I, I just think that that just that was just such a nice bookend, and, and and really was a great way to end the story. It's too bad they couldn't have tacked this on as an epilogue to that tenth issue. Um, instead of kind of separating it into its own own thing, I mean that that would be my one criticism is is I really like the way the story kind of unfolded in, in the series itself, and to have this Omega afterwards kind of is a is a little redundant. Um, but I do think there the conversation was 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 good and strong, and really you know helped set up for what's coming next and. That unfortunately we might see this person again down the road um, with a different face, uh, and and that's kind of interesting. A different face? Why not hang on to the one he's got? He wouldn't be the <coughs> first guy to be running around looking like Steve Rogers, other than Steve Rogers. We can't do it. I can't do it. I can't take no more. <laughs> he's got to change his face. Please change your face. I think if somebody could beef up the the Cerebro in the Marvel universe to just be a DNA detector and it's like, okay, we've got Steve Rogers' DNA. Let's find the guy. And you wind up realizing there's about eight things pinging as that's where he is. Because I think there are quite a few people with his... There's the real one and a few other doppelgangers of sorts uh, floating about, which is just ridiculous. I mean, at one point, uh, the Red Skull would have been one of those because he was in a cloned body of Steve Rogers. Yeah, that's, a, that's another one of your uh, characters that they're they're dead, but for how long? Oh, yeah, he'll definitely come back. And, yeah. I mean... 
having another evil cap. I mean, we had bad cap at one point, which was the cap of the 50s, and we had a uh, super patriot that was kind of a bad cap. You could argue U.S. agent. I mean, to varying degrees, certainly this is the first one that's actually taken over the world and had it ruled by Hydra, or at least America, but you know what I mean. I just, this was not a bad issue for what it was. I didn't feel the ending of the event uh, worked as well as, as you seem to have. Um, I really could have done without a uh, an inhuman uh, being introduced whose abilities to barf up what's what's needed, you know, the the plot device of the moment or what have you. And then for him to literally barf up part of a cosmic cube, I felt was ridiculous. And then how they used it was even more of a um, almost a writing cheat to get out of of well, how do we redeem Captain America after he has done this? Well, def- declare he didn't do it. Um, and I get they almost needed to go that route. I don't know how many other ways to backpedal on that you could go, but I prefer it when they don't have to backpedal. You must find comics frustrating then. At times, yeah. Because <laughs> they do a lot of backpedaling. Well, to me, if you're telling a good story, you should always be able to move forward. You shouldn't have to undo what you've just done. And when you tell stories knowing that you're going to have a cheat to get out of it... That bothers me when there's no consequences to a story. I don't know. We were praising Scott Snyder for his run on Batman. And I think I said with that final one, I was a little uh, frustrated by how he had kind of put all the toys back where he found them. Yeah. You know, and And, and undid much of the stuff. That's kind of what Nick Spencer did here. Um, He definitely put his toys back, most of them unharmed, a few few with uh, a little bit of scars. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of back to normal and i really like the uh, andrea sorrentino art and i really like some of the inventive panel layouts and and full spreads and double page spreads and um i i, I thought i thought it really worked art wise I, I was really kind of uh really enjoyed some of the panels and kind of lingered over them for a while uh, and thought they and thought they, they were fun but i do i do see where there were some um kind of monochromatic uh panels that didn't really have a lot of detail in them so i can see i see what you're saying but there was there were some that i really enjoyed and i think overall i really enjoyed the way he told the story with the visuals um i i I think this uh put a pin on this on this on this um event and uh there was a lot of fun stuff in here um uh i wish i wish he kind of would have done it in its in its original packaging but um for me this, this worked really well as did the whole series so um i'm gonna give this a b plus and uh, i really liked it uh i'm gonna go with a b minus um i think this issue and the series had some moments but overall i was i was hoping for more than i felt i got but i think the fact that it went extra issues and some of that stuff that's just par for the course for a marvel event these days but <clears throat> i mean i think i think you and sam have had this conversation where is it is it on purpose i mean it's happened so frequently it kind of has to be planned that way right it sure feels that way it feels like they're manufacturing announcements of it's such a big story we've had to give it extra pages even that couldn't contain it we need another issue it's so epic and it's like yeah maybe it is maybe it's not but if you, you can't go telling me up front you've got this meticulously planned you've got it all laid out and then realize you need another 10% of story space. You know, it's not like you were off by a page or two. 
and decided, ooh, a double-page spread here would really sell the thing better. Okay, fine, I'm, I'm good if you toss an extra couple of pages here, or if the extra pages had just been sprinkled throughout the entire run. But again, the fact that they need that extra issue, that we're getting the Omega, that we're doing all these yeah. other things, it's a... You know, they have the Brave New World, the Underground, the United uh, one-shots in miniseries and such. It felt like they were milking it a little bit. And I'm not saying they're wrong to do that. Comics is a, it's a business, and they need to make money, but I don't know. It's um, It happens so frequently that you, it just, it seems really silly and contrived, and why, why, are, you, why are you insulting our intelligence this way? At some point, somebody's going to do an event series that really is meticulously planned and is just tight writing, edge of your seat reading, and just completely wows us from week to week or however often it comes out. And we'll set the, reset the bar for what an event series is and can and should be. But I don't know when that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't rem, I know this has happened a lot and I'm trying to think the last time it, a Marvel event, uh, series ended when it was supposed to. Maybe Age of Ultron, or did it have an Omega as well? Uh, I thought it had some delays, but I could be wrong on that. I was almost thinking House of M. I don't know when the last time a Marvel series went off without a hitch, a delay, or an extension. <laughs> yeah. And by hitch, I don't mean Brian Hitch. I'm fine with him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they usually the reason for the delay. Ah, but he's good, alright. So, you know, it's, it's a tough call. We'll see what happens moving forward. At some point, somebody's going to bring Hydra Kappa back. And if they've got a good story, that's great. And if they don't, that's going to be annoying. I don't think it'll be Nick Spencer. I don't think he's going to touch this story ever again with a 10-foot pole. I mean, he he paid uh, the price on social media. He has been skewered, butchered, um, bashed, uh, run through the ringer. But, and I can't see him uh, going down this road again in any kind of controversial fashion. If this story had been told 15, 20 years ago, it's the exact sort of thing like an Ed Brubaker would be able to pull out and tell an amazing story on, just like he did with Winter Soldier and such. So I think there are things that future writers down the line can really do with this, but there's risk involved with that. Um, not just the whole, you know, how well was the story received or whatever, but do we really need an evil cap, etc. Now, if they can find a, uh, a costumed identity for the evil cap that is a good antithesis for, for Captain America or whatever, that could be really interesting. But, I again, we've had other characters of that ilk before. So, well, I don't know. Yeah, and without and without the Cosmic Cube on his side. I mean, I really don't think he's going to be that much of a threat. But there are multiple cosmic cubes and the ability to make them, so he will come back at some point and it, probably cosmic cube will be involved. <laughs> Doesn't have to be, but you know, it could be the infinity gauntlet, who knows. Yeah, never thought about that. You're right. Shall we move on to our other book? Yes. This is The Realm number 1 from Image Comics. Um this is one that I opted not to pre-order. So I read the uh, press PDF of this, and it's it's not a bad issue. It's not one that I expect to continue with, because it's really not in my wheelhouse and the sort of story I'm seeking out. It's, in my mind, yet another post-apocalyptic world, and I'm just not looking for another narrative of people struggling to survive in a, a run-down, destroy, half-destroyed world or whatever. If I were, though, I would certainly consider this title. 
the story's not bad. Um, it's not, you know, oh my God, brilliant. I've never seen anything like it before. I mean, I've seen post-apocalyptic stuff and it hits a lot of the notes, but it does it well. Um, I felt we got to know the lead character, this, this Will Nolan or whatever, reasonably well. I thought he was set up and we were shown the setup, not told the setup. And some of his supporting cast of Rook and a few others, we get to see in action and we get to see enough of the world to get the general sense of it. But also there are enough things. It's like, oh, wait a sec. I don't get what happened in that scene. And no doubt that'll be clarified later. So there's things that are, are foreshadowing and teases and stuff. But I felt like I got enough to, uh, to get the, the broad brushstrokes with what looked like the promise of many more things of detail to get, get painted in later, if you will. But it felt like it could have been another television series like Revolution, Falling Skies, or at one point it seemed like, you know, every uh, season was kicking out another dystopic kind of a world. And that's just, I, I prefer a little bit more upbeat sorts of futures. Um, but overall, the, the art worked well for me. There were some places it got a little gory, there was a lot of killing and stuff, but it's a post-apocalyptic story. It's, it's kill or be killed. I mean, that's nature of the, the, the story, the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes down to if I had, uh, more slots open on my reading list, which I have, I think, a negative number. Um, and if I was looking to add something, I would, like I said, I would seriously consider this. Um, I thought it was well told story, um, a lot of promise of things to come, but not something that is in my wheelhouse and that I feel that I need to continue with. Um, but it's certainly, uh, well done. Yeah, I really, I really thought it was well executed uh, for a first issue. I really liked the the character. Really gave me a um, a road warrior feel. Mm. Um, you know, the escorting of the uh, of the of the the woman across to, in, into enemy hands, and and with the, the the kind of the twist there, and then the fact that doing it for hire. You know, I, we've seen a lot of these things before. There's a lot of stuff in here that's very familiar um, in, in a variety of uh, of of media, um, be it TV, film, or other um, post-apocalyptic comics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I really liked the way it all came together about 85, 90% of this book. And then we get to the end and it really took a turn that I really, I want, I really, I don't know if I want it. I don't know if I want it to go in that direction. feels like some kind of supernatural element, some kind of possession of some sort or, uh, alien, uh, thing going on or, or I don't know. It, it like, like you said, it probably will all will be revealed in future issues, but I don't know if I need to go in, if we need to go in that direction. We were having a fun time. It was really, it was really going along really nicely. And then I just felt like that kind of didn't work at the end. I didn't like that part, but maybe that's the, maybe that's what they're offering as a unique take on, on what is very, a very familiar story that we both have kind of read a lot. Um, and although well done, what is your hook? Well, maybe it's this thing that they that that their angle that they have at the end that's to be determined. Or, but I don't know is, if I want what is that. your point of distinction? <coughs> what makes you different than all of these others? Yeah, and I certainly thought those scenes because I thought there were two there at the end, but certainly the very end and there was one yeah. before it that seemed to be where they were trying to to say, 
yeah, you've seen stuff like this, but this is this is different. This is new. This is you know whatever. But I don't know if I want to see. I don't know if I want to read that comic. I, I would read the comic that I read up to that point. I liked that. I thought mm-hmm. it was really well done. Although familiar, it was really well done, and I had fun, and I rooted for him, and I rooted for. I wanted I wanted the next mission to be successful, and I was excited to see how he gets from point A to point B. He seems really capable and smart, and that could be fun for a while, but maybe maybe not interesting enough for the creators. I think so if they had stopped before that last scene, maybe toned down the the gore just a little bit, um, I might have been a little more likely to keep going with it. But I think um, the way you phrase this of it is familiar is a great way to put it because it is familiar. We've seen, again, these tough guys got to escort somebody through the dangerous part of, of the world or whatever sorts of, of things before and post-apocalyptic story. But what it is not is derivative or feeling like it's just going through the motions. Yeah. It owns the, the genre and does a good job with it. It doesn't just fit with the here are the standard conventions or whatever. It tries to do, you know, it's, it's, its own spins on a few things. Um, and I appreciate that because there have been a few others where it's like, well, they were trying to tell this sort of a genre story or this formula of a story. And by golly, they, they've, they knew the formula. They followed it to the letter and it lacked energy. It lacked style. It lacked pizzazz. It lacked anything. You know, that wasn't the case here. They sold the story they were telling. Even though we've seen stuff like it before, I didn't feel like it's, geez, geez, this is just derivative of. Yeah. It is like something else, but not inferior to necessarily that something else. And I want to be, be clear on that because I think we've, we've reviewed one or two other things where it's like, we've seen this shtick before. We've seen these elements put together in a very similar thing. Here's the obvious turn. And oh, look, they made the obvious turn, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Or we've seen this before uh, done, done much better. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the case here. I, I mean, I think this is like the there's a lot here that I I thought was really done well. And this character was really done well and really fleshed out and um, great. Uh, but then at the end kind of threw me a little bit. I'm going to stick around for a few more issues because um, that's what I do <laughs> with image stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in pretty heavily with, with them and I, I give them a little more rope than I give some other, other things. So I'll stick around for a while, but it, it is something that I'm a little concerned about because killer be killed by Ed Brubaker went in this direction early on and has kind of righted the ship since then. But, um, you know, I, I'm always concerned when we say, well, let's take this genre and mash this other genre in there. And won't that be fun and fresh? Well, usually it's, kind of just not um so i i'm i'm concerned it's not going to go the way i want it to but i really enjoyed this issue and uh, and i had a lot of fun with it so uh, i'm sticking around for a little while let me know how it goes because i'm curious i think even if you say it's brilliant i'm not really looking for a post-apocalyptic high fantasy adventure series right so the odds of me coming back to this are low uh but not zero it is well done. This is a, a creative team that certainly I would be curious to see what they would do either before or after this because they know how to tell a comic book story. They know how to tell a good comic book story. Well, Jeremy Hahn um, writes The Beauty mm-hmm. uh, image and it's about 15 issues issues in and is you know, fast becoming one of my favorite comics. It's, it's really been a strong uh, procedural 
and in a in a new world and with with new rules. And so, yeah, he really knows how to create a world that I want to explore. So that's why um, since he's half the writing team on here and I'm not sure, you know, how that works when they have when they're co co-writers who, who does what and how the chores are separate. But um, he's involved in some way and I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and kind of explore this a little bit more fun stuff. Um, I think this is worth checking out. Um, uh, I, it's, a, it's a B, a strong B for me. And uh, I, I would recommend definitely checking this out. There's, it, it's a good comic. I'm right there with you at a solid B. If this is the sort of thing you're into, um, definitely check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's just I don't tend to gravitate towards this sort of a thing, which is why I'm not planning on continuing with it. But uh, certainly quality stuff. Now, since we recorded last week, I have read... Here we go. Drum roll. Eight comics. Nine if you count this one that we just talked about. Uh, but I'm not because it's not in my stack to read. So I've made negative progress. I was at the point where I was closing in on, on, I was nearly, you know, within arm's reach of getting under a, a, a hundred comics or whatever. And now I, or 150, I should say, 150. Now I'm almost at 250 again. Um, I had some stuff going on this weekend and uh, recorded a few episodes on the number, uh, one on the numbers and, and whatnot that'll go up soonish. So I just, I haven't had, actually, by the time this goes up, the, uh, the one I did with Sam may already be up. So I just, I haven't had the reading time. So that's, I'm hoping to, to carve out a bit of time to, to do that because I'm back on the, uh, the upward trend, which I don't like. But it was a big week. I had like 62 comics arrive yesterday. Uh, and they arrived Monday, yesterday, as we record this on Tuesday. Uh, it looks like DCBS has moved to Memphis and that seems to be slowing down getting my books for whatever reason. I'm hoping that's just as they get used to the new locale or whatever. Mm. But uh, I'm not overly thrilled on getting my books Monday versus uh, Friday, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, plenty of stuff to read. I've probably got, from this week and last week, probably 50 books just between Marvel and DC uh, waiting to be read. Well, as we record this, uh, the, the solicits are being leaked early and retracted and then leaked again, and now I think they're officially out. So a lot of the online solicits are, are all out now. Um, so you, you can check some of those out on the forum and, uh, stake your claim for, uh, preview spotlight, the next preview spotlight that's coming up. Um, it was kind of funny to see the, the data being leaked and people scrambling to glean information before it disappeared. It was, that was kind of a, a fun little, uh, tremor out there. I wish I was, uh, had been on the ball and realized what was going on at that point and had a little time. I would, didn't find out until afterwards because... I don't think it would have been that hard for me to have uh, been able to suck down enough of the data to, granted, it would have only given me, what, a few days head start on really nothing, because I don't need that data at the moment until I get to the number crunching. But you get the idea. Yeah. Um, sometimes having that in advance is, is, is nice. Other times... It's a good fun to play with, yeah. doesn't really matter. The one that got me is there were two um, announcements or whatever for Marvel. Uh, like, it's Tales to... Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish, one of those two. Yeah, you said they were using the same They're using uh, the run? same run that they used for Captain America, the the one through 99, so that one can start at 100 or some such. But Marvel 2-in-1, which had a 100-issue run back in the day with The Thing as the star, and this is going to be Marvel 2-in-1 with The Thing and the Human Torch, um, it's starting at number one. What? If I had any sort of graphic design ability, 
I would have by now put together a number of fake uh, legacy, you know, renumbering images. One for, for say, Falcon, where it's Falcon 1 through 4 crossed out, and then, you know, Falcon whatever it's at now, and then just Falcon 1, you know? And I would have done the same for, for Rocket Raccoon and listed the different titles he's had, because he's had, like, five, I think. And then just do, again, Rocket number 1 or Rocket number so, 4,000 or some such, you know? So they're saying that there is no cachet in a Marvel 2-in-1 legacy number, which I think is completely wrong. I would have started I mean, that at 101. Or, or wherever it left off. It left off at 100. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> then I would have done that too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if they bring back um, Marvel Team Up, I want them to start where it ended. Well, that's a little more complicated because it went for 150 issues and then it had another short run or two or three. So I'd have to go look up where it would have been considered to end somewhere potentially close to 200, which would be, I think, grounds for them to go use that numbering. Yeah. What's confusing me is it looks like there are a couple of one-shots that they've snuck in under the Legacy banner as if it were going to be an ongoing, like Power Pack, Not Brand Eck, Shang-Chi, or Masters of Kung Fu, I should say, Master of Kung Fu, singular. And I thought there was one other that I thought was going to be an ongoing, but looks like it may just be a one-shot. So Power Pack is coming back with a Legacy number of For what? an issue. For one issue? Yeah. That is so stupid. I believe so. It's done in one story. It didn't have a series code. I haven't looked at the new Marvel solicits to see if the next issue is listed. I'm willing to guess it is not. Why? 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 <laughs> no, no. The Marvel question is what if, not why. I, it was I, what if. Now it's why. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'm buying into Sam's theory that they're just making the numbers up and they're going to get there with whatever math it takes to get there because – Obviously, they didn't want to start at 101 because it'd be a long way to go for a milestone number on the Marvel team up. I still don't, I have no idea why they were just doing one shots. That's dumb. You're not even going to try to to get a make a run out of it. You know, you're going to get buy in. You're going to get eyeballs on the on that because you're bringing back that character from a long time ago. Those characters from a long time ago and you're going to get some eyeballs on it. You're not even going to give it a shot. As yeah, a series? I think Darkhawk was the other one that goes for single issue, maybe. Well, I, I don't understand the motivation, and I don't understand why. It, maybe they were, and I just missed it, but I don't think they were particularly clear that those were one-shots. I don't understand what their game plan is here. How many times have we said that? <laughs> I'm really not sure what they're trying to do. I really don't understand what their game plan is. I really don't understand their thinking. <laughs> uh, and therefore, do we think it'll work? I mean, it I goes... It goes back to uh, uh, sometimes I think we care more than they do. I don't think it's that we care more than they do. We care in a very different way than they do. This is something that is our hobby, is our passion, and is our escape from our, our, our day jobs and such. For them, this is their day job. This is what presumably some of them go home and want to get away from. We care in different ways, in different levels, I guess. Yeah. And I think they're trying to do good stuff at all these companies and stuff. I think they're trying to re-energize the base over at Marvel. I just don't think they're going about it the right way. And it almost feels a little hypocritical given the the plethora of number ones they've had. Well, but, with, with, with you telling me that these are all, that there they're are a subset of one-shots. And there's only like that, four or five. That, that really kind of cements the theory that they're going to go back to number ones pretty quickly. They're not going to stick with this legacy numbering for a long time. 
But for the one-shots, they used the legacy numbering to hide the fact they're one-shots. Oh. <laughs> uh, doggone it. It's out-of-the-box thinking. I guess. It is frustrating, though. It's, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, to me, that's, that's part of what I find interesting, and part of why I read as much as I do, is I find the marketing of comics as interesting and sometimes more interesting than some of the stories. But to know what's working, what's not, read the stories and say, oh, well, they marketed that right, wrong, or, you know, whatever, um, is, again, to me, fascinating. It's like, okay, how are you differentiating all these Batman books or these Avenger books or these X-Men books? Or should I care? Does it matter? You know, um, and then when they go through something like a, a New 52, a Rebirth, a Legacy, uh, a Secret Wars, which I equate Secret Wars to, to DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths, that they did at roughly the same point in their publishing history, uh, I think. Um, about 50 years in on each. Anyways, uh, the, the way they try to, to, to keep us as readers engaged, it's fun to watch, it's interesting to see, sometimes it's incredibly frustrating to watch. It's like, they think I'll fall for that? Come on, fool me once, shame on me, you know, sort of thing. But it's gotten to the point where the old rules aren't working, so they've got to come up with different approaches. Um, to the point that uh, Valiant, I think one of their books that they uh, uh, I was seeing on the Slack channel, is going to have almost every known cover gimmick known to man on a particular cover. Die cut, lenticular, foil, fifth cover, hologram, I mean, just as a spoof of it, you know, sort of a thing. Um I, I think they're they're the guys throwing the uh, the 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 bomb on top of the oil derrick on fire, hoping to extinguish it with a bigger explosion. You know, if we do it over the top, maybe that'll burn it out. Don't think it will, but you know, who knows? Yeah, and meanwhile, you know, there's you know, uh, time and vine over at IDW struggling to find a, a you know space on the rack, uh, a, a well crafted story um, by a a creator who never disappoints and you, you, you know, you're, you're not, you're going to find it in one out of every five shops if you're lucky, but we, we spend all this time consuming, uh, the 150, 200 big two books, but there's no room for the poor guys like, like Tom Zoller. That eh, frustrating. It's really maddening. But that's also part of why the format of the Weekly Comic Spotlight here is a Marvel at DC and some other book. Trying to give these other publishers a fair shake, trying to get some awareness out of it, and it also follows pretty much my reading habit of roughly a third DC, roughly a third Marvel, roughly a third other. Now granted, a lot of the other tends to be superhero, sci-fi, that kind of stuff, because I'm into it. But I think, you know, while it's easy to, to, to say, oh, it'd be nice if it was more than just the big two... That's what's selling and that's what's keeping the, the ship afloat. So, you know, right, but it's not, I mean, to the degree that, you know, two out of every three, uh, you know, that's, that's not my reading list. So no, it's different for everybody. Um, and certainly I think the growth potential for the industry is in these smaller publishers and smaller works because they've got the most room they can grow. And if they can hit it big or hit it successful, not even big, but, but, you know, um, be a slow, quiet sleeper hit or whatever, uh, and profitable over that time, that gets more comics sold, more people in. Um, well, it, can, it can only happen on the trade side. I mean, there's uh, barely an example of, of any kind of breakout single-issue non-Big 2 book besides Walking Dead and Saga. 
How often do you expect them to come around? Uh, all the time. Really? Yeah. Uh, there's, awesome. there's the potential for them to come around all the time. It would be nice if they came around all the time. But let's face it, there are a few hit series over at Marvel and DC. True, true. So one or two a decade, um, while I would like more, is is not, you know, unrealistic or low um, in terms of, of a success rate. Yeah, yeah. I guess when you frame it like that, I mean, even, uh, yeah, you're right. There really hasn't been anything. Star Wars. I mean, to me, the question is not why aren't there more big hits or why aren't there more things from the indies doing well or whatever, but taking a look at a cross-section of comics, talking to a cross-section of readers, trying to figure out why does a comic work for them and not work or not work for them. What are the success criteria? What are the things that are actionable items for a creator to do to do a good book, a publisher and a marketing department to do to get the word out about the book so it goes to the right people? Yeah. Um, and what happens to these fourth graders through eighth graders who are bringing their scholastic book order forms home and ordering Ms. Marvel and um, Gotham Academy and stuff like that and, the, you know, loving, you know, devouring it through the scholastic book uh, fair. Where do they go when they get older? Do they, you know, do, will there be a Barnes and Noble for them, hopefully, to go to, to transition to? Because I can't see them going to a comic shop. There's Comixology, other digital venues, there's Amazon. But the question is, do those that are growing up reading those things transition to when they're out of that scholastic book fair venue are they hooked enough to keep going and yeah, is that, there that, the, that the, maybe that's the better question is it something that they read during that time and leave behind yeah because i think m most of us not you but most of us have taken at least a brief hiatus from comics over the years mm -hmm. and stopped um and maybe yeah, and and some some longer than others uh but yeah yeah so i wonder but even if they stop, something like the DC Superhero Girls is potentially going to make a bunch of people lifelong fans of those characters. And even if they step away for five, ten years or whatever, at some point they will come back thinking, you know what? I remember as a kid thinking Batgirl or Wonder Woman or Supergirl or Bumblebee or whoever was a really cool character. I want TV, movies, video games, comics, books, whatever of them. That's a good thing. It is. It's just, it, it's the long game. Um, and it comes down to, does that, are we getting to the point where the characters are popular, but the, the medium is dying out? Don't know, but some point we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're almost to the point where you can see the issue three, issue four and beyond kind of leveling out. What, what, what are those, what are the real sales beyond the gimmicks? And uh, I think you've, you've mentioned the, the growing forest of dying trees. Mm -hmm. Um, and and is that trend line continues to to kind of dip as people age out of the hobby or die out of the hobby and are not backfilled with enough folks that at least venture into the comic shop to make a difference. What's the tipping point there? I, I don't know. Yeah. And it's something that I'm I'm actually quite curious about because. I mean, I'm going to... That's how you consume your comics. Well, yeah, I'm going to keep getting comics as long as there's comics to get and I'm able to read them. But at some point, we're going to hit the thing where comics aren't selling enough and those lower-rung Marvel and DC books just aren't worth a company that size putting out. Um, so maybe that'll be a heyday for independent comics or some such. Or it could be 
that enough uh, uh, traffic has gone away that stores start going under and it's, it's a problem and it completely transforms forcing comics into an all-digital realm, potentially. I'm hoping that's a ways off, but don't know. Or we go to the print-on-demand model and you know, there's a nice little kiosk there at the mall and you just go in and pick whatever comic you want and it spits it out. I think it's a great idea. I don't think it's practical. I don't think so either. But it looked it looked good in uh, all those uh, sci-fi movies. I think there's a time and a place for print-on-demand, but I don't think comics is it. But, you know, who knows? It's certainly a technology worth following, and if somebody can get to where you could put a kiosk at, like, a Home Depot or whatever, and they just toss in a, a cartridge of paper that they've got, you know, truckloads of, and you can go get the book or, or comic or magazine or whatever you want whenever, and it never goes out of print, that's powerful. But it kills the collectability, it, it changes things in a numer number of ways that uh, I question, even if it were cost-effective and, and feasible, would it work? Yeah, how do you how do you compensate those creators? Well, that, you barely. just do it on a royalty basis or whatever, but it, it, it allows for the long tail, so it benefits the, 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 the creators. It's just a question of, are you really then going to go chase down a back issue? The whole variant cover thing goes away because, well, I could just print another. Or it changes the variant cover to the first hundred people to print it, get it. But I don't know. Yeah, the more I think about it, I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of long boxes full of comics in the future. Probably not. Or at least yeah. not uh, not long boxes worth of new comics being kicked out the way they are now. At some point, that, that doesn't continue. Yeah, I think you're right. Preview spotlight deadline is going to be October 7th, the uh, the morning thereof. That's a Saturday. Uh, I'll start putting the episode together whenever I get up and get going on that. Uh, and then the following Saturday, the 14th, 7 p.m. Uh, Central Time is when we're planning on doing our teleconference for October. Yeah, just quite the turnout for that, right? Yeah, just had the one for September. It was a lot of fun. A lot of good uh, conversations and stuff. Um had Randy, had uh, Jason from Hawaii, had Don, had Sam for a little bit, trying to think who else. Uh, fun conversation. Really good time. So, and again, come for as long as you can. Leave when you have to, that sort of thing. Very informal. I just add people to the call as it, as they come and go, and we, we talk about what we feel like talking about. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? That'll do it. 